Let's just pause and ask God's blessing today. Father, we pray for your blessing upon your word today, this special day where we remember the victory of our Savior. Lord, I pray you'd give me unction to be able to present truth in a way that would impact lives, that all of us, Lord, would be drawn deeper into our knowledge of Jesus Christ. We pray in his holy name. Amen. Christ is risen. (laughs) Yes, amen. He's risen indeed. Uh, Today's the Christian Super Bowl of the year. If you, if you can follow that line of reasoning, <laughs> you know, for, for football enthusiasts, the greatest day of the year is Super Bowl Sunday. But for the Christian, the greatest day of the year is Resurrection Sunday. Because this is the one day of the year that we set aside everything and just remember that we have a living Savior. We remember that Jesus Christ was victorious over sin, death, hell, and the grave. And so for our text this morning, we're going to focus in on Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Just two verses. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now notice that word attain in verse 11. In order that I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. That word literally means to arrive at a destination. It means to finish a journey. So Paul looked at his life as a journey. His Christian life was he, was, he was on a trip, he was going somewhere. And his final, ultimate goal and destination was the resurrection from the dead. In verse 11. You see, Paul would, and, and neither would we, none of us would have any hope to arrive at that destination unless Jesus Christ had also been risen from the dead first. Jesus said in John fourteen nineteen. Because I live, you shall live also. So our future resurrection is tied to his historical resurrection. Over in Hebrews 6.20, it says that Jesus Christ has entered within the veil as a forerunner. Now, a forerunner who is somebody who would run ahead of others to prepare the way for them. Jesus Christ has entered into the veil We'll call that heaven. He's entered into heaven for us, preparing the way for us to come afterwards. So our resurrection from the dead, in verse 11, is tied to Jesus' resurrection from the dead. But what I want to ask you is, what is the path that leads to that final destination? If the final destination is to be in glory with Christ forever, enjoying His attributes and enjoying His perfections, then what's the path that gets us there? It says suffering. You're right, and that's part of the path. We're going to look at that. Rico's on the right track because verse 10, I believe, gives us the path that leads us to verse 11. Verse 10 is the path. That I might know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. See, if Debbie and I wanted to take a trip and go to Monterey, and we started heading on Highway 80 East, 
We're never going to get to our destination, right? We're going to get to Lake Tahoe or Reno or somewhere up there, but we're never going to get to Monterey. If you want to get to the right destination, you've got to get on the right road. And if we want to go to the resurrection from the dead, we have to be on the road that takes us there. And the road that takes us there is verse 10. There's four aspects of this road. There is the aspect of knowing the person of Christ, knowing the power of Christ, knowing the pain of Christ, and knowing the purpose of Christ. Those are the four things that Paul emphasizes here in verse 10. And when he talks about knowing in verse 10, you know, we we talk about knowing something as, well, I know certain facts about that person. But that's not what Paul means here. He uses the Greek word that talks about an experiential knowing. To know by experience. You see, none of us knows President Trump. But if you're married, you do know your wife or your husband. See, there's a whole difference. There's a difference in relationship. In order to know someone, you have to have communication going between you and that person. You have to be in their presence to know that person. You can't know someone long distance. It takes an intimate, personal, together connection where you actually get to know them through communicating with them. So when Paul says that I might know him and might know the power of his resurrection and know the fellowship of his sufferings and be made like him in his death, he's not talking about just knowing certain things. He's talking about an experience that he has. And sometimes we get a little bit uh, weirded out when we talk about experiential Christianity. But we shouldn't be. True, vital, real Christianity is an experiential relationship between the living Savior and the believer. And if you don't have that, you don't have real Christianity. In fact, I believe you can substitute the word experiencing for the word knowing. Paul could have said that I might experience him and that I might experience the power of his resurrection and that I might experience the fellowship of his sufferings and that I might be made like him in his death. So without Jesus Christ's resurrection, you and I could never walk the path that is laid out in verse 10. If Jesus is just a dead man, he's a historical figure, he lives 33 years and he dies and he's no more, then I can't know him, right? I can't know someone who's dead. They've got to be alive for me to know them. (laughs) And I can't know the power of Christ's resurrection unless he's raised. And I can't know his fellowship in the midst of sufferings unless he's alive so that he can fellowship with me in those sufferings. The path in verse 10 depends on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, let's take a look at those four milestones along this path that leads to the resurrection from the dead. And the first one is knowing the person of Christ. He says that I may know him. And the first thing I want you to notice is that in the context here of of Philippians chapter 3, Paul has already told us in verse 8 that knowing Christ was the most valuable thing in his life. He says in verse 8, More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish." so that I might gain Christ. Rubbish is a pretty tame word. It really means manure. It means garbage. 
he says, all of the things that I used to count so valuable, like my Jewish heritage, that I was born of the, into the tribe of Judah, that I was circumcised on the eighth day, that I was a Pharisee and I was a zealous Pharisee, and that I was even a persecutor of the church. I was so zealous. And as to God's righteousness externally, I was blameless. He says, all those things used to be so important to me, but now they're like manure compared to one thing, and that's knowing Jesus Christ. So it's the most valuable thing in Paul's life. Now let's let's go a little bit deeper. What does Paul mean by knowing Christ? A lot of people make the mistake of thinking, oh, to know Christ is to mean that you know all about Christ. You know that he has eternally existed. You know that he was born of a virgin. You know that he lived a perfect sinless life. You know that he died a substitutionary death. You know that he rose up from the dead bodily. You know that he ascended to heaven. You know that he's coming back again. And you have all of this great doctrine and great theology. But folks, you can know great doctrine and great theology and still die in your sin. You can go straight to hell knowing all about Jesus Christ. So it's not enough to know about him and know the right truths about him. You must know him. And that's a different matter. It's a whole different matter. The whole... The difference between a saved man and a lost man is the lost man may know something about Jesus. The saved man knows him. When when you come into a knowledge of Christ, you come into the experience of conversion. And without this experience of conversion, of knowing Christ for yourself in a personal, intimate, experiential way, you are still in your sins. So, it's basic to Christianity. This idea of knowing Christ. It's basic. It's Christianity 101. Let me show you that. In John 17, 3, Jesus said, This is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's eternal life. So, if you know God and know Christ, you have eternal life. But if you don't know God and don't know Christ, you don't have eternal life. Or in John chapter 10, verse 14, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. That's basic to this idea of entering into real Christianity, is that you know him. Remember on the final day of judgment, Jesus said that there are going to be many who say, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name and work miracles in your name? And... and uh, what else? He's cast out demons in your name. And the Lord is going to say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The Lord's going to say, I never knew you. In other words, we didn't have that experiential relationship that I'm talking about to you this morning. There was no saving union between the Savior and the sinner. There was simply a cognizance. There was a lot of facts in the head that had never got down into the heart. The man had never been transformed. And sometimes we speak about coming to know the Lord, right? So when did you come to know the Lord? And actually, that's very biblical. It's a, it's a good way of speaking. How did you come to know the Lord? When did you come to know the Lord? As another way of saying, how did you get saved? When did you get saved? They're synonymous ideas. But what I want you to understand here from verse 10 is that the true Christian is never content with his present knowledge of Christ. 
Paul said, that I may know him. Well, wait a minute, Paul, don't you already know him? Aren't you saved? Well, yeah, but I want to know him. (laughs) In other words, I want him to know Christ more than I know him now. I want to go deeper in my relationship with Christ. I want to experience more of Christ in my life. I want him to speak to me more than he's spoken to me. And I want to speak to him more than I've spoken to him. I I want to see him answering prayer. I I want this love relationship to blossom and to flourish and to go deeper. You see? So the believer is never content with his present knowledge of Christ. Christ is like the Pacific Ocean. And when you know him, you, you fill up a little thimble full of that ocean. But there's a whole lot left for you to explore. And for eternity, we're going to be exploring and developing deeper and deeper and more intensely into our relationship with Christ. So, the first milestone is we must know the person of Jesus Christ. Secondly, Paul said he wanted to know the power of Christ. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection. The power of Christ's resurrection. We can, Christian, we can experience the power of Jesus' resurrection. Paul was longing for that. We ought to long for that as well. In Ephesians chapter 1, starting, starting in verse 18, Paul prays for this. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will Know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and here it comes, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now, verse 18 and 19 say, Paul's praying for the Ephesians that they would know the surpassing greatness of God's power, toward believers. And he says that power that is towards believers is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, it's all power. (laughs) We're talking about resurrection power, power that can do anything. And Paul says, I want you to experience that power in your life. The power of Christ's resurrection. Or if we just flipped a page to Ephesians 3.20... Paul says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. (laughs) It's presently working within you, Christian. You may not realize it, but the power of God is at work in you. The Spirit is in you. If the Holy Spirit is in you, He's the Holy Spirit of power, and He is at work constantly within the Christian. Or Colossians 1.29, one of my favorite verses. Listen to what Paul says here. Paul says, For this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Now, do you have the consciousness that there's a power working within you? Paul did. Paul realized that. He knew it. There was a power working within him. We ought to be able to have the same testimony. We ought to be able to say, yes, there is a power, the power of Christ, the power of Christ's resurrection that works in me. Now, that power of his resurrection begins to work in you originally when you were born again. 
That's when it started to work in you. Over in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul describes this very, very clearly. He says in Ephesians 2.4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him. So, when you were dead in your transgressions, God made you alive together with Christ and raised you up with Him. That's the power of Christ's resurrection. In other words, you were dead like a dead branch lying on the ground. It, someone snapped it off, it fell to the ground, the leaves have all become brown, it's dead, it's not bearing any kind of fruit, any kind of foliage. But Jesus picks up that branch and sticks it into himself. He's the living tree. And the life that is in that living tree now flows into that dead branch and the branch starts coming alive because the life of the tree is flowing into that branch and pretty soon you see buds and leaves and fruit appearing on the branch. That's what happens when a person is born again. They are united to the living Savior. To, to Christ and His resurrected power. And so, here we are, a dead sinner, connected to Christ, His, His life, His power is now flowing through that person to where now they're born again, their heart has been changed. No longer having a heart of stone, they now have a heart of flesh. No longer is their heart dead to God. Now it's alive to God. This miracle of rebirth has happened because they've been united to Christ. So it begins at regeneration. But there's lots of other ways that we see the power of Christ's resurrection taking place in our life. Lots of them. We could talk about miracles. Whenever God does a miracle in you and through you, that's the power of Christ's resurrection doing that. If the Lord graciously grants healing to your body, that's the power of Christ's resurrection. But also, when you receive the power to overcome a temptation in your life, that's the power of Christ's resurrection. Let's say somebody does something to hurt you or belittle you, and normally you would just lash back. That's the way you respond to the temptation of someone hurting your feelings or belittling you. But you you find that you, in this circumstance, you're not doing that. You're responding with kindness and grace to the person who's offended and hurts you. That's the power of Christ's resurrection working in you. Or let's say that you're tempted to find comfort in a giant bowl of ice cream. Because you just had a bad day, you had a hard day, and you want some comfort food. And so you go to the fridge, the freezer, you get out some Rocky Road ice cream, and you mount that thing high, and you put whipped cream all over the top, and caramel, and chocolate. Oh, man, you sit in front of the TV, and you're just going to pig out, right? But after thinking about it, for some reason, you say, you know, I'm not going to do that tonight. And you go in your prayer closet, and you seek God, and you find Him bringing comfort to your soul. See, that's the power of Christ's resurrection working in you right there. Or let's say you're tempted to sleep in. Your alarm goes off at 5.45 a.m. and you just, oh, you don't want to get up. (laughs) You want to hit the snooze button. But this morning you don't do that. You're tempted to, but you don't. 
You get up and you begin to seek God in prayer and opening up his word. The power of Christ's resurrection working in you. Now, folks, you, you've got to have testimonies this morning of temptations that you, that used to be really strong in your life that are no longer that strong because God has given you victory. His power has been working in you to overcome these various sins that used to be enslaving to you but are no longer. Well, let's look at a different area. What about power to serve the Lord? We need power to serve Christ. The Lord wants you to witness to somebody and you know it. Some friend of yours. The Lord wants you to share Christ with them. And you dread it. And you're fearful. And you're saying, Lord, I I don't know. I, I know you want me to do this, but I just don't have it in me. But there comes that time when the two of you are together and you don't know why. But your fear is not there today. Your fear is gone and you have this boldness rising up within you. And you begin talking. And when you're done, you're thinking, where in the world did I get those words, those thoughts? I I didn't think about that ahead of time. I don't even know those scriptures existed. (laughs) You know, and you're talking to them about Christ. That's the power of Christ's resurrection. Empowering you for service. Or I can think about, even in my own life, you know, growing up, I was the kid who didn't like to talk in front of other people. I was kind of the shy kid. I... (laughs) I would get all embarrassed if I had to stand up and talk in front of a group and I just, I would do anything to avoid having to give a speech or something in class. How in the world am I doing this today? I think it's the power of Christ's resurrection. <laughs> He's working in me. He, he gave me such a strong desire to teach the Bible that it overcame my reluctance, my natural reluctance to want to do it and kind of impelled me forward just because this new passion came into my heart. And I know many of you could say the same kinds of things. So, power to overcome temptation. Power to serve the Lord. And I also think power to endure trials. Power to endure trials. Like physical pain. Some of you endure pain day after day after day. It doesn't go away. It's there. You prayed about it. God hasn't healed you. You still got this thing. The fact that you still are walking with Jesus... And haven't thrown in the towel and said, well, just forget it. I can't, I can't handle this. I can't do it anymore. That's the power of Christ's resurrection working in you. Endurance. Or maybe it's the pain of losing a loved one. Someone very close to you has died. And rather getting, than getting mad at God and saying, if that's what you're going to do, I'm not going to serve you, Lord. No, you wake up another day and you say, Lord, I love you. I believe in you. I trust you. And you continue to walk. The power of Christ's resurrection. And that's just three examples. I'm sure if we sat around and everyone had a chance to to say something, you would all say, this is how the power of Christ's resurrection has been working in me. And it would be awesome to do that. We should do that sometime. Maybe one of our men's meetings. We should talk about that. So Paul wanted to know the power of the person of Christ and also the power of Christ himself, the power of his resurrection. But the third milestone on this path is knowing the pain of Christ. Because he goes on to say in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul understood that suffering was part and parcel of the Christian life. We live in a fallen world, don't we? And By virtue of the fact that we live in a fallen world, we experience pain. We suffer. 
And when you become a Christian, you find that you suffer in other ways that you did not suffer before. You suffer because of your identification with Jesus Christ. You're ridiculed. You're mocked by other people. People think that you're a fool for having given up that or given up this and devoting your life to following Christ. So suffering is part of the Christian life. In the chapter before, in Philippians 2, Paul talks about how Jesus first went to the cross before he ascended and went to the crown. And every one of us who identify with Christ are going to share the same experience. We must die before we rise. We must suffer before we are rewarded. This life is going to be filled with it. The cross comes before the crown. Jesus said in John fifteen twenty, The servant is not greater than his Lord or his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. So if you identify yourself with Jesus, get ready for some persecution of one sort or another. We don't face the horrific kinds of suffering that other people face in various parts of the world, but you will face some. You will face some for that. Paul said in Philippians 1.29, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Now notice, it's suffering for Christ's sake. It's not suffering because you've done something stupid. Right? It's suffering because of your identification with Jesus Christ. Suffering for righteousness. Remember how when Paul was traveling, we'll call him Saul, when Saul was traveling on the road to Damascus, and all of a sudden there was this very bright light, and he fell to the ground, and he heard this voice speaking from heaven, and it said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? What did Saul say? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, Paul probably was confused. What do you mean, Lord? I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting Christians. But in the mind of Jesus Christ, to persecute his people is to persecute him. Because when his people suffer, Jesus suffers with them. There is a fellowship of suffering that takes place between the child of God and his Savior, and Jesus. So, when we go back here to Philippians 3.10, Paul says, I want to know the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. Christ suffered far more than you or I ever will. Far more. And he understands the suffering that we go through. And he's willing to walk with us in the midst of our suffering. The most, I believe the most painful part about suffering is having to go through suffering absolutely alone. Like there's nobody there to be with you. No one to help you. No one to just understand. That's the kind of suffering Jesus went through. Remember, Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him three times. All the other disciples forsook him and fled. And even the father turned his face away. And Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? He's alone. He's going through this intense tribulation where God's wrath is being poured upon him. And he's suffering for the sins of his people, putting away sin by himself. But as a child of God, we never have to face alone suffering. He comes and he fellowships with us in the midst of suffering. I think that's what Paul's talking about. I want to know the fellowship of 
those sufferings, when I suffer for Christ, when I suffer for the gospel, he comes and he fellowships with me in the midst of those sufferings. We have, that's one of the blessings of the Christian life. Everybody suffers, right? Everybody. Christian, non-Christian, everybody. But the Christian doesn't suffer alone. Christ comes to him. Christ draws near and he sympathizes with him and he gives him grace and mercy to help in time of need. In fact, that's what uh, Hebrews tells us. Chapter 4. Verse 14. Well, I'll pick it up in Hebrews 4.15. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now here he's talking about temptations, but I believe you could also substitute sufferings. It's the same thing. He is our high priest who sympathizes us, not only in our weaknesses, not only in our temptations, but also in our sufferings. And he is able to draw near to to give you grace and help in time of your need. We have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Do you remember the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3 maybe? where they're thrown into a fiery furnace because they're not going to bow down to this image. Remember that story? Well, when the king looks inside the fiery furnace, what does he see? Four men. men. And he says, the other one, he looks like a son of God, whatever that meant. (laughs) But we have the son of God himself. When we go through the fiery furnace, the furnace of affliction and suffering, the son of God comes into that furnace with us and he walks with us. And he enables us to bear it. And he gives us grace in the midst of that. So Paul says, I just want to know fellowship with Christ in the midst of my suffering. Haven't you known that the time of your greatest fellowship with Christ was probably, I'm I'm, going to guess this, was probably the time of your greatest suffering. Think of the times when you have suffered the most in your life. And I'll bet you, Those are the times when you found intimacy with Christ the sweetest. We grow the most when we suffer the most. Paul knows that he's going to suffer for the gospel, but he wants Christ's fellowship in the midst of it. And Christ promises to come during those times. So how do you deal with suffering in your life? Do you deal with it through a bottle or drugs? I hope not. Or maybe a psychiatrist? <laughs> or maybe you just go on a spending free, and that's the way you get comfort? I'll go buy something. Th- I'll go to the mall and just buy something new. Maybe with food? We have all ways that we cope when we are going through hard times. I want to give you some free advice. Go to Jesus. Find fellowship with Him in the midst of your pain. And he's the one who can he can really deal with it. He can give you the power of his resurrection to bear up under that until the time that God removes it, to bear up under it and to come through it on the other side. You see, we are not following a dead model. We're following a living Savior. That's what Resurrection Sunday is all about. He's alive. He says, I am the living one. I'm alive forevermore. 
It's not like Christianity is just based on this person who lived way back then for 33 years and he died and no, he, he's here. He's in this room. He's, he lives within you by the Spirit of God. He's a living presence in your life. He, you ought to be having, having daily interactions with Christ as your greatest friend. You see what I mean? It's not just ideas in your head. It's a, it's a relationship, a personal, experiential relationship that God wants all of His people to have with Him. And He wants you to grow deeper in that relationship with Him the longer you serve Him and the longer you know Him. Well, let's take a look fourthly at this fourth milestone, knowing the purpose of Christ. Back in Philippians 3, verse 10, Paul says, being conformed to his death, uh, a more literal translation would be being made like him in his death. You see, Christ came into the world for a specific purpose. He said, the Son of Man has come Not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. The purpose of Jesus Christ coming into the world was to die. That was the ultimate purpose of he was born to die. And in Philippians 2.8, it says, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Okay, now think about that phrase. He humbled himself by becoming obedient, there's our word, to the point of death. Jesus' purpose was to submit himself to the will of his Father, even if that will meant him laying down his very life. We talked about this on Good Friday at our house when we had the church over. We talked about the fact that when Jesus looked forward to the cross, he was terrified in his humanity. He said, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. It was horrifying for him to contemplate what he was about to experience. He didn't want to do it. In his humanity, there was a part of him that was shrinking back. He even prayed, Lord, if it's possible, let the cup pass. I don't want to drink that cup. I know what's in it. The wrath of God was in that cup. He didn't want any... But he said, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. He submitted himself. He surrendered himself to the will of his Father. And Paul is saying that here. He wants to be made like Christ in his death. What was Christ like in his death? Submissive. Submissive to the will of the Father. Paul says, I want to be submissive to the will of my Father. I want to be like Christ in his death. He knew that fruit bearing involves cross bearing. John 12, 24, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, the grain of wheat must die. It must go into the ground and die before it bears fruit. If it doesn't go into the ground, it remains alone. If it dies and goes into the ground, it bears much fruit. Paul wanted to be a fruitful believer, but he knew that the principle of death had to take place in him. Submission to God's will. And don't you know, believer, a lot of times God's will is not your own will. You've got to die to your own will. You've got to die to self. You've got to die to the flesh. Because God says, this has got to go. This sin has got to go from your life. 
This thing in your life here does not please me. You need to repent and turn from that thing. And you say, well, Lord, I, I, I kind of like that thing. Well, I don't care. I, I'm the Lord, and I say it's got to go. <laughs> and so submission to God is what Paul is after. Lord, I want to know the conformity to the death of Jesus Christ. I want to be made like Jesus in his death. So as we think about this path, are you on the path that leads to the resurrection? Do you know Christ? Do you know Him? How well do you know Him? Is there something within you that says, I want to know Jesus more than I do? I'm not content with my present knowledge. I really want to know Him. I want to experience Christ more. A real experiential knowledge of Him. If you do, that's good. That's very, very good. Do you long to know the power of Christ's resurrection in your life, in your daily life? Which means when you go to work, when you go shopping, when you're doing chores around the house, when you're spending time with your spouse, when you're playing with your kids, do you really want the Lord to show up in all those areas of life? Do you want to know the power of His resurrection to overcome temptation and to endure through trials? and to enable you to serve Him powerfully. What about when you're going through suffering? Do you experience fellowship with Jesus Christ? Do you put Him at arm's length because you say, Lord, I just don't want to deal with anything right now. I'm just hurting. I just want to be alone. Or do you say, Lord, please, please, draw near. I need you right now, Lord. I need you more than ever right now. Lord, walk with me. Be my strength. Enable me to continue to abide in you, Lord, day by day. And do you long to be like Jesus Christ in his death? In his death, he submitted to his Father, even though there was a part of him that really didn't want it. But he submitted. Do you want that? Do you want to be submissive to your Father? I pray that's the case. I pray that all of us are walking this road. This is the only road that leads to the resurrection. Knowing Jesus, knowing his power, having fellowship in his suffering, being made like him in his death. But hallelujah, we have a living Savior who can enable us to walk this road no matter how difficult that road ever gets. Lord, we want to thank you that you put us on this road and that you haven't left us to walk it alone, that you're there with us. And Lord, every single one of us, we pray, we cry out to you, Lord, that we would have a greater knowledge of you. We pray, Father, that we would draw near to you and you would draw near to us and that there would be fresh manifestations of your presence and of your grace and of your power in our life. We thank you, Lord, that we have a risen Savior, a living one, someone whom, whom we can know and draw upon. We glorify you as that one. Hallelujah. What a Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.